Next on Abounding Grace, we'll notice Jesus was quick to serve others and frequently in prayer with the Heavenly Father. Pastor Ed Taylor says those are footsteps to follow in. This is amazing grace. Good to have you with us today as we return to our study of John's Gospel here on Abounding Grace. In chapter 2, we find Jesus at a wedding. As you may recall, Jesus would perform an incredible miracle by turning water into wine. But Pastor Ed Taylor believes if you dig a little deeper, you'll discover some profound truths about life and ministry. Let's lean in and hear all about it. Please open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 2. Because we're studying the life of Jesus. If you want to Twitter notes from the message, you could use the hashtag following Jesus. That's what we're doing through the Gospel of John. We're following Jesus. I like to place myself with him in my mind. What it would be like to be there at each episode of his life. Especially from John's perspective. Because we learned earlier that John is writing so that you might believe and believing you might have eternal life. A study in the Gospel of John is going to support our faith and our trust in Him, strengthening us for what's up ahead, using us. And one of the things that we have learned in John's Gospel, not in chapter 2, but actually in chapter 1, there in verse 14, is it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We learn that God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, came to earth and took on a human body. He dwelt among us. Literally, we learn that that phrase means that he pitched his tent, that he made his home among us which speaks of him hanging out with us. That's the phrase we would use today, that, that God came in human flesh and hung out with his creation. He ate with his creation. He drank with his creation. He walked. He talked. He enjoyed one another. You know, Jesus, he partied with his creation. Yes, you know what? Jesus loved a good party. He did. Now, now before... You fill that word with the modern-day understanding of it. Jesus loved a party, but he never sinned. He didn't sinfully party. And that's where we find him in chapter 2, at a party. It's often referred to as the wedding or the wedding feast, but I want you to understand that this was a big party. In the first century, Jewish weddings were seven-day affairs, You would open your home for seven days and family and friends would come and stay and celebrate the upcoming wedding. They would celebrate it in a way that, well, a lot of people celebrate at receptions today. They got drunk. And so this was a drunken party that Jesus was at. He was physically there with his disciples. But understand this. 
Although Jesus was there, he wasn't sinfully drunk. And he wasn't partying like they were partying. Instead, his presence there represented the very holiness and righteousness of God. And yet, he was still able to be there. Notice with me chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, they were at the wedding. Do you want to know why Jesus and his disciples came to this party, to this wedding? Do you want to know why? Because they were invited. It's that simple. They were invited. And I hope those of you that are planning a wedding in the future, maybe you're single right now, you have a fiancé, and you're in premarital, and you're so excited. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. It's not going to be a seven-day thing, but the day that's been reserved for you, it's going to be great. And I hope you invite Jesus to your wedding. Because weddings are all about Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. Does it make sense now that culturally that marriage is being redefined and undermined because it is such a powerful picture of Jesus and his church? But here Jesus is here at this wedding. He's enjoying it. And it's important to see and to learn the ministry model of Jesus. We see a lot of it in this chapter. He didn't live in isolation or seclusion, no. As you study the life of Jesus, he lived in one of two places, pretty much his entire life. One of two places. You note-takers, it would be great to jot this down, put it in your mind. Number one, you find Jesus before his heavenly Father in prayer. You're always seeing Jesus praying to the Father. Or, if he wasn't before his heavenly Father in prayer, he was among the people serving them. Sometimes both. Before his father in prayer, among the people serving him. So vital that we live our lives the same way. Jesus is among the people here in chapter 2. That's where he's at. He's at a party. His first public gathering that Jesus ever appeared at was a wedding feast, was a party. Wouldn't it be cool to have Jesus at your wedding? Can you imagine years later when you have friends over to the house? And you're just having a barbecue and hanging out. And, and maybe it's some friends that you guys all got married at the same time. You bring all your wedding books, all your pictures. And you start talking about, who was at your wedding? Well, you know, the mayor was at my wedding. Really? Wow. And yeah, the president of the United States was at my wedding. Really? Whoa. Look at that. You want to know who was at my wedding? Jesus. And you're like, man, you want to have Jesus at your wedding. You want him to be the center of your life. And that's where, we have, that's where we have him here. You see, when you see Jesus at this party, and there's much to conclude in chapter 2 here that the people at the wedding feast were drunk because they ran out of wine. And the Bible says that they drunk well, you'll see in a moment, which I think also means they were well drunk. <laughs> it's too easy for us, church, to get into a Christian bubble and live our lives in the bubble. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You wake up in the morning, you get your cup of coffee, you have your devos in your house, you're seeking the Lord, and you're praying. Then you go off into your car on your way to work, and you flip on Christian radio and listen to Christian music. And then you, after you're listening to Christian music, you go through the day, and you're, 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 you're enjoying you know, the, the time. You take your break, you go out into the car, you turn on Bible study, and then you drop your kids off at the Christian school. And, and you know, if you really want to be Christian that day, you come over to the cafe, and you get some Christian coffee and Christian donuts downstairs. 
we just pray over the donuts. All you know, we don't even have donuts, but if you want, you go Christian hot dogs and corn dogs downstairs, and you get the point. It's very easy to live in a Christian bubble. I mean, after work, you go home to the safety of a Christian home. You turn on Christian TV. You read Christian books, and you're just in this Christian bubble. And and in many many reasons, I mean, I can understand the the value of being careful not to be polluted by this world, but, but some are just overdoing it. You're over-isolating yourself from the world that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for. And seeing Jesus at a drunken wedding is offensive to you. But there's a problem with that because it was Jesus at the wedding. You know what happens is we have this, we have this, um, this dual battle going on. You know, well, that's not very Christian-like to be at a wedding where people are drunk. Well, I don't want you to be Christian-like. I think the Bible wants us to follow Jesus. And if you were following Jesus on this day like his disciples were, do you know where you'd be? At a party where everybody's getting drunk except for Jesus and you. That's where you'd be. And I know that these are decisions that you need to make as you stand or fall before the Lord. And I'm certainly not standing here as a pastor telling you what to do. But I am asking you to allow Jesus to stretch your mind just a little bit here. To see things a little bit differently. To embrace the opportunities that God has given to you. You know, I don't think God is telling you to be in a place that's going to stumble you or tempt you or be in a place that's going to be unsafe for you. But I do see that Jesus mixed it up a little bit. And he was around a lot of different types of people, including those that didn't believe in him. He was engaging, compassionate, and caring. And that's really, I think, the the heart of evangelism. We forget that God desires us to be engaging, compassionate, and caring. Just people. We're people serving people. That we seek to build bridges with people, not blow them up. To, To... Meet folks where they're at and encourage them and be the light in a very dark place. Not arguing and yelling and fighting over the things of God. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. In another version, it says strive. And if we were to paraphrase it today, a servant of the Lord shouldn't be out going out fighting all the time. Contentions even is a work of the flesh. So we find Jesus in chapter 2 at a wedding because he was invited. And it's really a summary of the life story of Jesus. His life on earth begins with a wedding or begins with a glorious and miraculous birth only to end in a tragic, sorrowful death. And in between, he was with people like he was right here in Cana. Cana would be considered an insignificant city like Nazareth that we saw last time. Just a small city, not a place where you'd expect Jesus to show up, let alone at a wedding of a family in Cana. The, you know, people were expecting Messiah to come to Jerusalem and take care of business. And eventually Jesus would, but he was hanging out with people along the way. Which leads to a question that I'm often asked. I'm asked on the radio and occasionally here, and it goes something like this. Pastor Ed, I've got a dilemma. I was invited to a family function, a gathering, a family reunion, a wedding, and lots of different things. And, and I already know how it's going to be. I already know how my family is. And you know, there's going to be a lot of alcohol there. A lot of, should I go? Let me say, 99.9% of the time, my answer is, yes, 
Yes, you should go. That's your family. I know we can't choose our family. I know. We were born into the family that we are. Well, praise God for that. Enjoy your family. But, Dad, you don't understand. Uncle Harry's going to be there, and when he drinks, Uncle Harry is hard to deal with. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. And then there's, there's Aunt Mary. You know, and Aunt Mary goes crazy, you know. But who's going to be there to help Uncle Harry get back, you know, get up after he falls down? And who's going to be there to tell Aunt Mary, hey, hey, lampshades are not hats, honey. Take the hat off and you put your clothes back on and let's just, come on. Kids are here. I mean, who's going to be there to do that? Who's going to be the one that shines the light of the gospel in a very dark place? If you and I decide to isolate ourselves from the family that God has given us. And so I say, enjoy it. Now, I know there's going to be challenges. And I know you, you have to process all that. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? I know growing up when we were raising our kids when they were younger, um, there are many in my family that aren't saved and many in my family that love to get drunk and, and, uh, and, and, and just the behavior that comes with that. And, and, of course, I was saved out of that. And uh, my kids didn't see it so much, but my wife did. And, 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 and I know there's a dilemma. You know, what if my kids see Aunt Mary and Uncle Harry? And I remember many times on driving home from an occasion with my wife and my son, mostly Eddie and Josh when he was younger, uh, driving home and saying, what you saw is really not from God. And we need to pray for him. We need to pray. Yeah, but, but did you see and did you hear? He said this word, Daddy, and a word comes out. I, I know a lot of people say that word, but that word's not from God. And so we don't say that word in our house. It's not in the Bible. And we use these situations to disciple our kids and that to love their family and to pray for them. And that's what we would do and we still do by name praying for them and their wives and now later and their kids because our family and the the parties that would go to at work and all of those yes go and enjoy it might be difficult and yes there might be some craziness but jesus was always welcome among those having a good time and if you do choose to go don't go and sit in the corner with your hands you know crossed just looking all miserable you go what's the miserable that's the the christian that's the christian you know (laughs) yeah that's that yeah he goes to church you know, the one taking notes of how bad we are, you know. No, 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 no. Go and enjoy it. You can enjoy it without sinning. You can enjoy. Jesus gives you the example. You can enjoy other people's joy without sinning. Now, in, the, in this wedding celebration, verse 3, it says that they ran out of wine. So they drank everything that was there to be drunk. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman... What, is your, that con- what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Again, a long feast, seven days. They have, they, they have some preparation time. They, they bought wine to last the week, but then they ran out. And this wasn't a good, this was no normal thing. This was not good socially. It would be a black mark on your reputation in, in the community if you ran out of wine. It was a social problem. But, but there's also a spiritual piece behind this, and that is that wine, the, the rabbinic tradition reveals that wine, and often in the Bible, wine represents joy. So as the celebration is going on, they run out of wine, joylessness, joy is starting to leave, and there's a joylessness that's starting to take root, even in the presence of Jesus, which is very possible in our lives, where we lose the joy of our salvation. And 
Mary, mom, sees it and gets involved. And you've got to love her. You know, mom sees a problem, it's going to solve it right away. And tells, goes, run to Jesus. They run out. They have no wine, verse 3. And Jesus said to her, woman, and I can only think of that in capital W, capital O, capital woman. You know, I actually tried that a few times with my mom growing up. It didn't work. <laughs> if I tried it today, it still wouldn't work. <laughs> but this really isn't a disrespectful way. This isn't, uh, Jesus is not being disrespectful to Mary at all. But simply the phrase is pulling out a sternness but a politeness to Mary. Saying, Mary, what you're concerned about is not what I'm concerned about. I'm not here concerned about them running out of wine. I have a goal that I'm on the earth for. And how do we know that? Well, he says it right there. My hour, verse 4, has not yet come. That's a technical phrase. It's actually used seven times in the Gospel of John, and it refers to the crucifixion. Jesus is basically saying, I'm here on a non-negotiable timetable. And yes, I'm at the feast. I'm here at the wedding. I'm here at the party. But... Compared to wine being run, you know, running out of wine and the crucifixion, I'm on a, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, Jesus says. And Mary, it's not your mission. I'm on a mission with my Father. Now, before we move on, I think it's important to pause here and be reminded in verse five um, that even though it says his mother said to the servants, "Whatever he says to you, do it." That that is not an indication or an instruction that it's okay to pray to Mary. You know, there is the religious tradition in Roman Catholicism that teaches that it's okay to pray to Mary. That actually you should because technically she's closer to Jesus than you are. And she is his mom and he's going to do what his mom tells him to do. That's a, that's, you can look it up for yourself. That's an accurate, simple representation of a doctrine of man. And... According to the text here, Jesus is in full control. It's not okay to pray to Mary, and it's not okay or biblical to pray to saints. It's not okay or biblical to pray to those of your loved ones that have died and gone into heaven. The Bible says that you and I have direct access to God. You don't have to pray through a priest. You don't have to pray through a pastor. You don't have to pray through... The Bible says in 2 Timothy, it says that we have one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And that you and I can go right into the throne room of grace to find help in time of need. And while I understand the reasoning, it's not biblical reasoning, and it's not biblical teaching. And so for those of you that have been praying to the saints or praying to Mary, I just want you to know you don't need to do that. It doesn't do anything. You can come directly to Jesus, simply... The Bible is very clear. You have the freedom. You don't have to come to me. Sometimes there will be people that come to me that think that if I pray for you, somehow my prayer is more important than someone else's prayer, and it's not. You have the same access to God that I have as a pastor because as a pastor, I'm no different from you. I have a relationship with Jesus just like you do. So you don't have to come through me, nor will you or can you. Together we get to go. That's why if you come up and pray with me, we're going to pray together. We're going to seek God together because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. I just wanted to speak to that because this is a place where some will come to substantiate that doctrine of man, and it's not. Verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. 
And he said to them, draw out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. In this, these few verses, the water turned to wine. And as they put water in, they drew wine out because miraculously Jesus changed the water into wine. Now this was, these pots were used for ceremonial washing. Uh, according to the law, they were used as, to have water that were blessed and set apart so you could do the ceremonial washing and you could eat according to the law. 20 or 30 gallons. And they, Jesus, the, the need is going on. We don't quite know where the disciples are, whether they were close, probably were, saw this all go down. And what Jesus tells them, he doesn't tell them to go find to the next door neighbor more wine or, or any of that. He says, he doesn't tell them like he does with the, um, uh, at the feeding of the thousands, does anybody have any food? He just says, go put water in those, in, in those clay pots. And you're like... I don't know. I put myself in, those sh- in, in the disciples' shoes. You want me to do what? You want me to put water in the... Why? Why do you want me to put water in the pots? It doesn't make any sense. What, water, pots, I... Why? We, we need to ceremonially wash or... You know, I, we don't know exactly what they were thinking, but I can say this. When there are times that Jesus asks me to do something when I don't understand why, I ask him, why? Why? You know, like things like, you know, you want me to forgive them? Why? Don't you know? Don't you understand? Or I think of something simple. You know, you want me to go on the mission field, God? Why? I mean, I've worked my whole life to build up a career. I've just finished school, and, and you put a burn on my heart for a part of the country, you, a part of the world, and you want me to go on the mission field? Why? It doesn't make sense. Or you bought that Bible, and you intended it to give it to a gift to a family member, but you wake up on Monday morning, and the, God, and the Lord says, I want you to give that Bible to your boss. Why? My boss doesn't love God at all, and he'll fire me. He knows, you know, he told me never give him a Bible, or he'll fire me. Why would you do that? I mean, can you imagine the, the, the reality of whys and how much they hold us back from just obeying God? Now, I don't think it's wrong to ask the questions. Ask all you want from the Lord. Just obey. And I see another principle here. Even when, and especially when you don't understand the why, Obey seeking to find the love in the action. What do you mean by that, Ed? Well, again, let's take the Bible to your boss scenario. You know, God really loves your boss. There may be times when you don't, but God really loves your boss. He really cares about him. And he's been setting the whole thing up just for that Monday when you give him the Bible. <laughs> He's been sending people. He just went to a baseball game with his kids, and somebody at the baseball game was talking about God, and then he was over at King Supers, and the person that was doing the checkout was talking about God. And so the reason God dropped that into your heart is because you have a relationship with him, and now he's been setting it all up. And you're wondering, why? Why should I do this? What if I lose my job? But God doesn't. He already knows this is a setup. He's ready, and you're going to be the last one where not only will you give him the Bible, but he's going to go, I've been waiting. What is it in your life? And then you share the gospel and your boss gets saved right there in your office. You're like, whoa! And, and I found a little um, quote that really fits well with this thought process. You might want to jot it down or think of it. I just thought it was cool because there's so many times where God will ask me to do something and I don't understand why. I don't even think I want to do it. Fill water in the pots. I mean, can't you get it? Why do we need to fill water in the pots? Isn't there somebody that water fill, you know, the, is there somebody here that fills the pots with water already? You know, all of that. And I love this, and let me quote it. It's not for us to ask the why, but simply to comply. Oh, I like that. It's not for us to ask the why, but simply to comply. We'll leave you to think that over today on Abounding Grace. 
And you can look forward to hearing the rest of Pastor Ed Taylor's message from John chapter 2 tomorrow. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. If you haven't read Chuck Smith's classic book, Love the More Excellent Way, we'd like to recommend that you do. We'd love to get this into your hands. You'll not only discover what love is as defined by God, but also how to love the more excellent way. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. We've got another study in the Gospel of John to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.